Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley sitting in for Tom today, and we're glad to have you on this beautiful day in Phoenix, Arizona. With me in the studio, making the big commute, is Nathan Bentley from Santan Valley Life Point Church. Welcome back, Nathan. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Nathan uh, is going to tell us his story, and we're going to talk about the challenges, the trials, the blessings of leading a congregation. He's been leading LifePoint for how long now? A little over two years. A little over two years. Tell us the story, how you ended up out there. Well, you know you're responsible for it. We, my family and I, were at Living Streams for quite a while and working at Living Streams and You presented an opportunity to head 60 miles southeast to help a church that was struggling and looking for leadership, and uh, the Lord has supported that decision, and so we moved out there in December of 2013 and uh, haven't looked back, to be honest. So tell us what you found when you got there. What what kind of shape was the church in when you arrived? It was broken. It was broken. They had a lead pastor that had founded the church, been there for 10 years. The congregation loved him. and he had been out of the scene for nearly a an year and a half when I got there as the church was looking to bring on a new senior pastor and had uh, one failed attempt with a gentleman from California they were hoping would work and uh, the executive pastor, others were hoping would work out and that didn't work. And so they had been through quite a bit of disappointment, the congregation. And so, and they had been hit really hard by the downturn in the economy out there in the Santan Valley, right? Absolutely. The subdivision that LifePoint Church sits in was probably 30% full, about 2,500 homes. So wow. it had just been vacated. A lot of people lost their homes. A lot of people lost their jobs. And so the whole financial condition of the church was dire, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I like to tell the story that the month we said yes, there was just over $300 in the checking account and an empty savings account. So I knew it was the Lord well, saying had yes. so much room for growth in the savings account. <laughs> yeah, I can't really go too far below that, right? So tell us a quick version of what's happened since. Boy, a quick version. What has happened? God has moved mightily, first of all, in bringing excellent uh, partners alongside me, my associate mm-hmm. pastor, Josh Miles, and family pastor, Blake Willsford, creative director, worship leader, Stacy Gamble. These men have come alongside and helped bolster me up as, as he's provided the growth of people there. Mm-hmm. And so the quick version is, is we said, Lord, the church is yours. We're committed to giving a minimum of a tenth of all the tithes and offerings that come in back mm-hmm. out to missions and supporting outside efforts from LifePoint. And uh, God's just, I think God has blessed that decision tremendously. Yeah. And what we were able to give in 2015 was, it, it's mind-boggling. We just delivered those numbers at our business meeting in February, and it was exciting because we, we doubled what we gave in 2014, wow. but didn't double our tithes and offering. We just have a heart, the, the heart of our people is to, to be give. generous. Is huh? to be generous, and it's not. We're not a wealthy group. It's no, it's blue collar working mm-hmm. people, and but they see what the church is doing. They see what God is doing through their efforts and their first fruits giving, and it's been, it's been a blast. That's wonderful. You know, I've worked with pastors for years, and I've talked to um, leaders whose churches are broke. And one of the first questions I ask, I said, "Are do you guys tithe as a church?" 
because we're supposed to model to people what your financial stewardship is all about. And so if the church doesn't model it, how are the people going to want to follow? We're going to continue this discussion with Nathan Bentley, and uh, he's got some great insights and a great story. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more, more of Koinonia in just a moment. Welcome back to Koinonia. It's Mark Buckley from Living Stream sitting in with uh, Nathan Bentley from Life Point Church in the Santan Valley. And Nathan has been part of something really exciting. He got there at a low point in the church, and the Lord has turned it around. And you guys have been booming these last months, haven't you? We have. We have. We've seen a large influx of people come out there. There's homes being built in every single subdivision. Is there really? There Isn't is that neat? Every, every one and a lot of uh, commercial space getting built up. It doesn't look like it used to. I yeah. can tell you that. Yeah. I remember driving out there on a Sunday morning and I, I could go almost 70 miles an hour for an hour <laughs> from my house before I could make it there. That's a long way, isn't it? It is, and it felt that way. I remember when I was making the drive out there when I was just an interim yeah. for about three months, and I would make the drive out there two to three times a week, and it felt like such a long ways. And when family comes and visit me, they always talk about the journey, and now <laughs> it's one sermon on the iPod. That's it. And so yeah. that's how I look at it. Yeah, that's funny. So you know what, what's interesting to me is that the Lord challenged you and your wife, Christy, to invest your lives at a low point. One of my philosophies in ministry is the best time to invest in the right situation. It's like buy low, you know, invest low. When you have a friend, that's why Jesus said, go to the sick, go to the prisoner. You're investing at the low point in their life. They never forget who shows up at the low point. Anybody can be a friend when it's a boom time. Yeah, your challenge, I mean, Mark, said those exact words to us and that challenge has rung true into what we're doing and living streams was there for us numerous times when we were at low points in our health and financially and uh i've never forgotten it and so i believe so much of what we've seen out there is those who stuck around and have been a part of the church through the transition they're rejoicing in it yeah they they were there they've seen it all the way down, yeah. and they're seeing the growth and all the people and the small groups and the salvations, and uh, it's nice for them to be able to see that. And for us, it's just nice to get to be a part of something. Every time I buy a house or make an investment, I seem to be at the high point. So it was nice to get in something at the low point, finally. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> for your mercies. Um, so tell us a little bit about your structure. You mentioned small groups. You got a lot of for- small groups for me? Yeah, so we call them life groups, and uh, we have... We, we want to build them out from the leaders we've developed over the years within the church. And so I believe we were able to offer a little more than 30 life groups from Wonderful. couples to seniors to women to moms to men to mm-hmm. celebrate recovery. We got that going late Great. last year, which was Great. a big, big desire of mine. Uh, 
we've just got a life group in just about every subdivision that's out there. That's how Santan Valley is mm-hmm. built on subdivisions. Lots separated. of little subdivisions. Mm-hmm. Huh? Separated by farmland. Yeah. Wow, that's funny. Um, so tell us what you've been preaching on lately. Oh, man. I got completely inspired last fall by Matt Chandler from the Village Church mm-hmm. did a series called The Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. And he went line by line for 12 weeks through the Apostles' Creed. And so I told my associate pastor, I said, that's our next series, starting in after we did our fasting series mm-hmm. in January. And so that's where we've been. We're four weeks in, and uh, I love it. I've always said when it comes to religion, I hold religion very loosely on yeah. rules and religious things. But the Apostles' Creed, if I'm going to fall on my sword, yeah. those are what I believe. The, yeah. the, the Trinity, the uh, virgin birth, the conception through the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints— Forgiveness of sins, death, and all of that—that—that that, that is that is Christianity. That is the yeah. gospel, and so it's been fun to take it line by line and really tear it apart. And I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. That's it. And his only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was conceived of the Virgin Mary, born, who was conceived of the, by the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered and died and rose again. That's it. We used to say that. Yeah. When I went to church every Sunday, you know. Well, that's the thing. So our biggest debate has been, can you guess which line has been oh, The Holy Catholic Church. There it is. And I didn't take it out. And I yeah. had a lot of people, well, let's call it the Holy Universal yeah. or the Holy Christian. Yeah. And I purposefully left it because what I've noticed in our culture is culture wants to change the meanings of things. It wants to take the things that, that God has meant for good right, and right. wants to make them for evil. Right. And one of the examples I used, which was kind of funny, I said, uh, none of you will mind if I put one of God's promises on your car, will you? Because right now I have my elders out putting rainbow flags on the back of all of your cars. Because isn't it, after all, just a promise of the Lord right, that he would right, never flood the earth? Right. But yet we'll allow culture to tell us what it is. Yeah, and so yeah. once I explain... What, what did it mean? What was the Holy Catholic Church mm-hmm. before the Reformation, before the Great Schism? What right. was it? And uh, let's not change the way we say things. Because if I call it the Holy Christian Church and I go down to some foreign country to minister and I tell them it's the whole, what's Christian mean to them? Right. It doesn't mean right. anything to them. And so what I want to talk about is the Holy Catholic Church, small c, in regards to the fact that the church that loves the Lord, believes in the Bible and the Holy Word of God, and that is what the communion of saints should be. That's right. That's exactly, that's a really good word. And it should be everybody who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what the name or label on the building. If they believe in the Apostles' Creed, we are in fellowship with one another. I just came back from Ecuador, and we had an amazing time, and God's pouring out his spirit. And in one of the cities, um, the archbishop of the Roman Catholic Church has reached out to some of my friends. and Because they have, in, in Catholicism, there's two main events for kids. One is communion, somewhere around fifth grade, or I mean, uh, five years old, you know, first grade area, and then confirmation. Confirmation's supposed to be... Um, laying on of hands and the filling of the Holy Spirit, but it's become a perfunctory, like, slap from the bishop on the cheek and, mm-hmm. and lost its meaning. Well, in down there, they've the bishop has asked these spirit-filled believers of an interdenominational church to come in and pray for our kids to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. But the blowback they're getting, the persecution they're getting, is from other Christians who are mad at the Roman Catholic Church for years of persecution and everything, 
And I think God is bringing believers together right now. And that's the kind of opportunity we need to take when the Lord opens the door. Rather than hanging on to history of offenses, let's say, okay, what's the Lord saying now? There's a revelation coming because we need one another today. We got some big battles coming down. Yeah, when you look at the world, not just American culture, but internationally, Mm -hmm. the world is united. The world is united on where they want to go. The world is united on the love of self and the determination to see self succeed. And when Christ called us to a life which is to serve others, then we as a church can't be this disunified. We can't be this dysfunctional. We've got to find common ground and be unified in what it means to serve others. Amen. Otherwise, we'll continue to get stomped on. (laughs) So how do you illustrate? um, Give us an example from the Apostles' Creed, your first sermon and or your second sermon, and how you illustrate it, how you make it practical so people take it into their hearts. That seems to be the number one thing people have loved about the preaching, is mm-hmm. to take complex subjects and make them applicable to you. Yeah. And so uh, the first series was I Believe In, and mm. Chandler influenced me so much, and I loved it, but it was I Believe In. It, was, it did not say I know that he's God the Father. It did not say, I understand. It said, I believe. Because when we as humans move from an understanding to a belief, it requires action. Mm -hmm. You see, I know I should work out and not eat cake and donuts. But I don't believe I should do it yet because I haven't gotten the cholesterol report or my doctor tell me my health isn't there. But I know it. Once I believe it, it moves to action. And so just that part, That everything I'm about to say beyond these first three words, I believe in, means I believe it to a point that it will move my life to action. The fact that I believe that the Virgin Mary was conceived, that that conceived of the Holy Spirit to give birth Mm -hmm. to Jesus Christ, means that I can move to action Mm -hmm. on that subject. It is not just a religious thing. It is not something in an old book. It means it should move me to action. Mm -hmm. It should move me to understand the words of Christ better. So when it comes to the communion of the saints, why do we gather together? There's those who say, I don't need the church. I love the Lord. Church is on my back porch. Yeah. And, and I get that. And I understand for many of those, the, the, the rub they've had with the church. But we're called to the communion of saints. There's a constant calling from the apostles and Paul after Jesus ascends to communing with one another. Because when we come in communion with one another, that's where we see the Holy Spirit working. Right. That's where we receive inspiration. It's where we receive um, divine knowledge from words of our brothers and sisters. And gifts flow from one part of the body of Christ to the other Amen. that don't flow on the back porch. And if all you do is understand it, if all it is is a head knowledge to you, Mm -hmm. like two plus two, you understand it, and it hasn't moved to belief, then it will never affect your actions. It will always be in a place of a a mental sphere of, I know what, I know who God is, but do you believe who he says he is? So your, your challenge then is to take the truth, make it applicable, so people respond in action. Every Sunday, no matter what I'm preaching. Yeah, yeah, you have to ask yourself, what? difference does this make in their lives? Yeah. What does God intend to happen? My goal is never to bring a watered-down message or a simple message that is like, you know, soaked bread to yeah. eat. My goal is to take meat and uh, present it in such a way that it's ap- uh, it's a, it's causes the appetite to be excited for it. Amen. And that's what, uh, that's how I love to preach. I think that's probably why God put it on your heart to have me start in junior high ministry, mm-hmm. <laughs> because as difficult as junior high ministry is, I go into every sermon every Sunday to adults, and I say, as I read through my notes, 
would a junior higher sitting in the congregation get this? Yeah. Would yeah. they find this interesting? And which yeah. is probably why I pepper so much humor in. Well, to and what I and say. that's really what good preaching is all about. It's keeping people's attention because if you lose their attention, what's the point? It's over. You yeah. know, you might as well just I could be say the benediction. That's right. And <laughs> and uh, one a great preacher that I grew up with, uh, Dr. R. L. Heimers, he learned in junior high in a Chinese Baptist church in Los Angeles. And he always said, if I could keep their attention, I can keep anybody's attention. That's right. You know? And that's how I felt. And I think that that was divine as much as I may have uh, questioned my existence many nights yeah. teaching junior hires. That certainly prepared me for where I am today. Amen. So, um, Nathan, I want to talk a little bit about some of the unique pressures on a pastor. I mean, you guys have had a boom time. The church has doubled or tripled in size in the last two years, which is awesome. It's exhilarating. But it's also extremely exhausting and depleting, isn't it? So when we come back from this break, I want you to explain to our listeners some of the pressures their pastor may be going through as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with our guest, Nathan Bentley from LifePoint Church in the Santan Valley. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. Thanks for being with us. Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley, and I'm with my friend Nathan Bentley from LifePoint Church. Um, before we go on, I want to talk with um, Nathan about pre- pressures and challenges people in ministry go through. Um, a year or so ago, I had Floyd McClung on as a guest in this program. Not everybody knows who he is, but Floyd was, has been in international ministry and missions for over 40 years. He took over as president of YWAM after Lauren Cunningham stepped aside um, and then he's led a ministry for years called All Nations in Cape Town, South Africa, written all kinds of books, including Follow, including Living on the Devil's Doorstep, uh, about his time in Afghanistan and, and Amsterdam, live, you know, just on and on. But he's fighting for his life. He's been in the hospital with a massive infection in South Africa. Uh, they haven't been able to knock the infection out. He's been in an induced coma. They're going to go in and do surgery sometime in the next 24 hours and try and cut the infection out of him. He is just barely hanging on. Uh, Before we pray for him, Nathan, give us some of your impressions of Floyd. I first heard Floyd speak in your church when I had been married to Christy for about two years. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the end of his sermon, I was just sitting there shaking with my head bowed in a older gentleman behind me put his hands on me and said, son, it's okay. The Lord is speaking to you. And I thought for a long time I was supposed to go to Africa with him. And I was Mm -hmm. a business guy and he was calling for that. And, uh, and so he put in me, he planted there a seed that day that spurred me on to probably making the decision I did when the time came for me to leave business and go into ministry. So Floyd has been a 
incredibly influential person from reading his books to having the opportunity to hear him speak a dozen or so times. Uh, my heart's breaking for Sally right yeah. now and for where he's at, but I believe God still has work for him on this earth to do. So, so for those of you who are listening, please join us. We're going to pray for a minute for Floyd and Sally McClung. Father in heaven, we pray that you would extend your hand to heal Floyd McClung. We pray that you will have mercy on him. Allow the doctors to remove the abscesses, the infections that have been ravaging his body. We pray the surgery will be successful. We pray you'll give Sally grace and peace. We pray that Floyd will be able to recover, that he'll once again be able to speak and write and share the love of Jesus that has guided, permeated his life for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. Thank you for our friend and brother. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So thank you for uh, joining us in prayer for Floyd McClung. Um, Nathan, I want you to tell the listeners some of the pressures that they might not know go on behind the scenes in the life of a pastor. Well, to, to narrow it down to a few, because we've only got 30 minutes left in the show, one of the biggest pressures I feel is the feeling to have the answer. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a man coming to you for wisdom about his work, it's a couple coming to wisdom to fix their marriage, or someone coming to you about their kid, mm-hmm. it's to have the right answer and to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. I think Paul encourages us that, that I prepare in the off-season so I'm ready in-season. Yeah, And so when you're when you're presented with something that you truly know from the beginning, I don't have an answer for this. There's that pressure to say, Lord, am I not hearing you? Am I not ready? Am I worthy to even be here? And I think no matter what level of pastorship you're at, mm-hmm. there's always that feeling of, am I, am I really even worthy to be coming, having someone come to me for these kind of questions? And so that pressure's there. Yeah. You've obviously got the pressure of every time you bring on someone part-time or another pastor to help a, a, a booming ministry is the pressure for to, their family and the mouths mm-hmm. to feed and support them and love them and, and guide them. Because once you bring them on, it's not just about them bettering themselves. It's about you investing in them that's and, right. and their family. And so that's been there. And then lastly, and it's fresh in my mind, but just the pressure of um, having to lose congregants mm-hmm. and having to – the merry part is fun, the berry part not so much – and so when you're going through having to lose congregants and comfort families and go through the grief process, that's a burden that uh, you realize that when it happens to the church, the church all fills the burden for a week or so, and then the family carries it for a while. But when it's happening multiple times as a pastor, you keep carrying the burdens right. longer like the family does in many cases. Tell us what happened just recently at Life Point with one of your close friends. Yeah, we did. We just had the toughest toughest burial I've ever had to deal with. A close friend of mine, uh, Chad, they woke up to find their four-year-old adopted daughter who had Down syndrome uh, had passed away in the middle of the night. And that was one of the hardest calls I've ever received, I'm sure, for Chad, one of the hardest calls he's ever had to make. And as we rushed down there, my wife and I to be with them, that's one of those moments where I felt I had no words. I felt completely inadequate. I'm just standing there. As he's weeping, and I just began to weep with him. Yeah, that's And a, as that's he's neat. crying out in anger, I agreed with him. I was. Yeah. He said, I'm angry. 
I don't want any part of this God. And I said, I understand. I'm angry too. I don't get it either. And I wish there was something I could say. I wish I was better. I wish that. All you can do is hug them. If you can hug them and cry with them, that's that's being a true friend and a brother. That's what he needs more than anything, you know. Yeah. I mean, when my son died, um, the guys that showed up at the hospital and gave me a hug, the guys who, when I saw grief in their eyes, there wasn't an answer. I knew there wasn't an answer. There's nothing could bring them back, Mm -hmm. which is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, But if people are willing to stand with me in grief, that's a true brother. That's a true friend. Yeah. And then God can sort it out as time goes on. And uh, and that's really the, the big thing is that we love each other and that we're willing to fight together for the things we can fight for and and share together in the things that we can share. Yeah, That's the gift of God. David Stockton came out and preached right after, uh, in the fall of last year. Mm-hmm. And he quoted, I forget who he quoted, but... Uh, he said, you'll never truly love something until it breaks your heart. Yeah. And for me, after losing a family pet at a young age, I sort of bowed. I would not, I wouldn't let something hurt me like that again. Yeah. And then I got married and had kids and I was like, okay, okay, I'll love these. Yeah. But the, the more that grows and now we're looking to foster to adopt. Mm-hmm. We just got our license officially, by the Congratulations. way. Congratulations. Thank you. So excited for that. Uh you realize you just keep opening the door. And so when I got sent out here, I loved the people, loved the church, but my heart wasn't breaking for it yet. Mm-hmm. And I began to notice at the end of last year, the Lord began to really move on my heart and my heart was breaking for the people. I was beginning to feel burdened and stressed and anger over seeing people make bad decisions mm-hmm. and hurt over their bad decisions, which I think I protected myself from before. Right. And I thought I was being strong. And the truth mm-hmm. is I wasn't really loving them. Yeah, And so that's been a huge transition in me over the last six months probably is this idea that I'm allowing myself to truly love the flock, the congregation God has given me. And with that comes unbelievable joy. When they experience joy, I get to rejoice with them and and have fun with it. And your heart breaks as well. But unfortunately, there's that side. Yeah, that's – you're vulnerable. Yeah. There's no way to love people without being vulnerable, and there's no way to really love Jesus unless you love his people. Mm. Because he said, do you love me? Well, you're going to shepherd them. You're going to feed them. You're going to care for them. You're going to do life with them because that's where my heart is. Yeah. I think I always, once again, going back to the Apostles' Creed, I always knew that that's Mm -hmm. what a pastor should do, but I didn't believe it until recently. And once I believed it, I've begun to live it out. Well, when you think of it, um, if you have hope, then your life has you know, a sense of adventure and purpose and anticipation. Without hope, people have depression, discouragement. If you have faith, then you can receive from God. You can anticipate what God's going to do. You have confidence, even though you're not sure how it's all going to work out, that good things are coming. If you have no faith, then life is dead. And and the greatest of these is love. Love is life-giving, life-affirming, life-enriching. And we all have that capacity Yeah, if we're willing. If we're willing. And that's where it came down for, down to for me was having to be willing to say, Lord, you can use me this way now. Amen. Beyond just speaking, I will actually love people. <laughs> so you have a gift for preaching, but how much pressure is associated with getting a sermon ready week after week after week? Uh, not, maybe not as much as it should be. I uh, just had this conversation recently that 
because uh, currently without an executive pastor, I handle mm-hmm. all of that, the business side of the church and, and mm-hmm. keeping everything working. And uh, I probably am at, at an 80-20, 80% business, 20% sermon prep. And I'd love for it to be more. I'd love yeah. to be able to spend more time in that. And that's why, by God's grace, I'm hoping to bring on an executive pastor in April and really be able to... Do you have the right person? Yeah, I do. From Wonderful. within, too. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm really excited about that. God, uh, a year ago he wasn't there, and so we brought on a family pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, truth is, he was actually there at the church, but not, uh, not, not ready yet. Time wasn't right. Yeah. Not ready yet. And uh, God's timing is, it's, it's fun to sit back and watch. But, that's neat. So for me, the sermon prep, um, what I would like to have more of is more study and research time yeah. before I present a sermon. But as far as the delivery and the notes, God has blessed me with the ability that once I, once I've determined in my heart where I'm going, that part's that part's easy. That flows. That huh? flows. That's neat. But I'd like to research more. I'd like to have yeah. more hours and just study. Yeah. Well, that's when more people will be listening to your podcast. The more depth you have, you right. know, The further right. it can go. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, you mentioned when you get the call that somebody's lost a child and how devastating that is. That's, to me, why it's so important to have some emotional energy in the tank. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we, we know we need some money in the bank in case unforeseen things happen. But a lot of people live life with no emotional energy because they're going seven days a week. And so they're close to being fried. And then when a crisis comes, they truly don't have anything for it. Yeah. And that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? It certainly is, and I've been there. I've been there on the brink of about ready to crack because I've pushed myself. Uh, I, I, I have implemented in my life, however, the, a Sabbath day. And I've Good. noticed that even if I'm going six days a week, that Sabbath day has been one of the biggest blessings I can ever count because it allows me the time to recharge and start right. again. Right. And it is a command of God, you know, to take that day of rest. And a lot of believers think that you know, it's no longer necessary. You know, maybe the Lord only gave nine commandments on Mount Sinai <laughs> or something. My guest is Nathan Bentley from Life Point Church in Santan Valley. I'm Mark Buckley. Stay tuned. We might even talk a few minutes politics when we come back from this break. Excellent. And I'm with Nathan Bentley. We're glad to have you here. Nathan, one of the things that the Lord's led you to do is to breathe new life into uh, communion and into, like you were saying earlier, the Apostles' Creed, the foundations of the faith. And and what kind of effect is that having in the church? Yeah, that's been wonderful. I grew up uh, going to Baptist churches and Lutheran churches and as a child, 
unfortunately, was never really explained to me the importance, the beauty, the reverence of communion. Mm -hmm. Uh, was never explained to me the purpose of a creed, why I should know it, why I should commit it to heart. And so as I grew up as a pastor and and late in my teens went to non-denominational church, many of those things don't have the same sort of importance. And what the Lord has begun to unveil to me is that I've allowed my own prejudices, my own life experiences to hinder me from observing some things that are really beautiful, some things that really help Uh, that God instituted to help us walk a righteous life. So often we get asked, how do I do that, Pastor? How do I do that? And we want to steer away from legalism that says, well, you have to follow these six steps. But I don't see communion as legalism. I don't see understanding and memorizing Scripture or a creed that leads me back to Scripture as legalism. I see it as tools in the belt to help me uh, avoid temptation, to help me... uh, Communion with the Lord. Communion with the the Lord. Lord, He said, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He didn't give us a lot of things. He didn't give us a lot of tradition. He gave us the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And so we we really talked about that heavily just yesterday, actually, at the church, about the importance of taking the communion in the right spirit with the Lord. And what we got to see amongst our people is a lot of people see communion in a different light and come to the altar and, and get on their knees before the Lord and say, Lord, before I... Uh, drink of the cup and eat of the bread. I have some things I need to share with you first, and I need to get right with you. And that was one of the most beautiful things I've gotten to see being out there is because it's no longer just, oh, of course, it's time to sing. Of course, it's time to do offering. Of course, it's time to listen. It became real. It became this moment where people said, before I do this, before I drink the judgment Mm -hmm. of the Lord upon me, I should really examine. And isn't that what communion is? Mm -hmm. It was meant for us to examine ourselves. Just as death is a callback from the Lord meant for us to examine Mm -hmm. who we are. What are we doing with our life? Communion's meant to examine. What are we doing? What did I do this week? Where did I let my thoughts go? Have I... Have I said sorry to my wife for how I treated her? Yeah. All those, it's meant to do that. It's meant to bring us back to that. So, yeah. Amen. So if somebody wants to visit you guys at LightPoint or they want to download one of your sermons get on podcasts or whatever, how would they connect with you? Great. There's lots of life points. We are lifepointpeople.com mm-hmm. and also on iTunes, lifepointpeople. And you'll see our logo. It's a black and blue gray LP. And you can see our sermons on there. Great. And uh, how about getting to one of your services if they live in the East Valley? Well, currently we're at 9 and 1045, but don't hold me to that. We we're, we look like we're moving to three services probably in May. Mm-hmm. It's a little teaser if you're actually listening to this. Everyone else will hear that in a few weeks. And uh, But we are at 28479 North Main Street in Santan Valley, and that's area code 85143. And they can look you up on the web at lifepointpeople.com. Lifepointpeople.com. Awesome. Um, so, politics. We're, we're watching um, the Republican Party. If you've seen any debates, I mean, this cracks me. I have found myself laughing <laughs> and very, very sad on some of those debates, man. Yeah. Very, very sad. I. I'll be honest, it's it's hard to watch. It's embarrassing. You ever watch a comedy where the main character is doing such silly things that it's you're embarrassed yeah. for them? Yeah. That's how I feel watching the debates. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for them. Yeah. And uh, um, the man who I felt should have garnered a lot of Christian support because of where he stood morally, because of where he stood on who was God of his life, 
the Christian community turned their back on him. And I'm a little shocked by that. Yeah. We, we, we have cried out as a church and a community. For righteous leaders. For righteous leaders. And then God presented one. And we said, no, thanks. Yeah. What is happening, Mark? Yeah. It's definitely a very challenging time. And I think that, um, well, there, there's a certain ignorance. And, and I'm going to point the finger at anybody who never reads the newspaper. And a lot of people, they don't read the newspaper. They say, well, I get everything online. Well, you don't get much depth online. And so now you've got people that can manipulate others. That's right. Um, let me give you an example if you were to say to me that um, the Mexicans are beating you, the Mexicans are beating you because I spend my money on a Mexican restaurant and I don't get anything back. They're, they're, they're beating me economically. Mm-hmm. I'd say, no, wait, wait a second. I spend my money there because they give me goods and services. I go to Chinese food and they give me goods and services. I go buy a Japanese car, and they give me something that I want. So there's a, a, a deficit there. That doesn't mean they're beating me. That means they're providing me a service. Right. And, and right. It's like if you were to say, well, we're going to force them all to do it American way or something. Yeah, well, isn't that, isn't that the case, though, is that we, we want to, rather than address the root problem, mm-hmm. the root of our hearts, which is jealousy, laziness, slothfulness and in, in how we move More racism forward. racism we we'd rather address these other issues like production and supporting america and we'll call it we'll dress it up however we want yeah but the fact of the matter is that our competitors are providing great products right and we like them because we're too lazy to go do something else if you don't like it if you want it to be american made then get up and go build it right and don't let it be about racism don't shroud it in some sort of re- religious self-righteous act that you're wanting to be a patriot yeah. really love the person love the people yeah. you deliver something their economy needs if, if you feel that way amen so when, when I pray for righteous leaders, here's what I look for, Nathan. I look for character. Can your wife trust you? Hmm. You know what I mean? Can your business associates trust you? Do you keep your word? How do you respond under pressure? Hmm. Do you have grace under pressure or do you get belligerent and belittling and attacking? Can you <laughs> answer the issues or does it become personal if somebody pushes a button in your heart? Those are the things that reveal character. And we're just seeing a smidgen in the campaign process of the pressure that a president would go through. Because once you're president, you take shots from all sides. Once you're president, there's all these expectations everybody has. And the the crises are real. Right now, it's all theoretical. These guys don't have any power to do anything. What happens when it's real? What happens when you have to respond to an attack on our citizens or attack from a foreign country? What happens when you have to make real budget decisions that affect real people's lives and on and on, you know? Um, You need a man of character. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom. If we elect somebody who doesn't have the beginning of wisdom, then we're up a creek because you can't just have a bunch of knowledge that guides you in advance you've got to have wisdom and character because you don't know what the circumstances are going to be until you get to it so how do you instruct your congregants mark allow me to ask the questions (laughs) on what they're to do this election season this is the first season where i've heard well how are we to vote 
what am I supposed to do then? Do I throw my vote away? Is that the righteous thing to do and vote for the guy who doesn't have a shot? Do I not vote? Do I vote for the lesser of two evils? I think I think everybody should be voting. Everybody should be praying. And um, I think, I mean, I, I'm actually hesitating on my vote in Arizona because, you know, there are several candidates. The guy that I think has got the most experience and the most character that's still in the race is a guy that may not have a chance to win. So uh, I'm going to wait to see if he can gain any traction in Ohio, you know, yep. uh, to see whether or not what happens after the Florida, Ohio primaries and so forth. And then I'm going to cast my, uh, you know, early ballot because um, you, you do want to be pragmatic. And, and I think every vote really does matter. We have to answer to the Lord, not for the outcome, but for our part. That's if right. we do our part right, we can rest in God's hands. And I think it's a bit of a cop-out when people say, well, God is sovereign, whatever God wants. Mm-hmm. No, people get the rulers. Proverbs say people get the rulers they deserve. That's right. Okay? And that's why we're asking for mercy. Right? <laughs> I was about to say, Mark, you may have just condemned us with that one. No, but there is certainly the for ask mercy. for mercy. I was just down in Ecuador, I told you earlier, and um, this may sound a little shocking to our listeners, but um, the people down there, I was talking to a pastor, a church I was preaching at, they have a couple of thousand people, upper middle class and middle class, and and some poor people as well in uh, Cuenca, Ecuador, and um, he said, we love our president. And the reason they love their president is for the first time in their history, they're not being ripped off. Mm. You go down roads and you've got new highways and there's dams being built. Now, they're being built by the Chinese, but they're still being built with the government money. Um, there's, there's clean city streets. You know, you go in San Francisco or Philadelphia or Detroit, there's, there's garbage and litter everywhere. You go in uh, Cuenca or Guadalquivir or um, Quito, Ecuador, with millions of people. The streets are clean wow. because they pay people to just to clean them. And once they're clean, then everybody's self-conscious about throwing something down, you right. know. Right. And um, and you, uh, we went to a banana plantation, and those guys hustle. They are hustling to to cut the bananas off the tree, to clean them, to 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 form them in boxes, and and they're hustling to make thirty bucks a day. Mm-hmm. Basically, their minimum wage is four hundred dollars a month. And that is at least a livable wage. And what they said was prior to this president, when, before they had a decent minimum wage, those guys might make a buck an hour. Wow. And you go to a restaurant there, it's not that che- much cheaper than our restaurants. I mean, they were not surviving. They, there'd be a few billionaires making all the money and the average person nothing. So they've got a president who's socialist. But now they have health care. Now they have education. Now they have clean streets. Now they have government that they can trust. And even though taxes are high, at least they can live. And Hmm. that's why they love them. Okay, we're going to be back with Nathan Bentley in just a moment. Thanks for letting me go on that little bit of a political rant. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be after these messages.
Well, welcome back to Koinonia. Um, we do want to exhort you to be praying for our country. Don't be gullible. Don't be just voting for somebody because you're angry. Um, one of the principles, Nathan, that I think is really important is we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to give you this one last story that when I first moved to the Valley some 32 years ago, um, shortly thereafter, they did a roundup in Guadalupe of illegals. And they got about 20 of them. And then they found out after they had already incarcerated them and started the deportation process, 12 of them were actually legal residents. Mm. And those 12 sued and won over a million dollars. When I realized that 12 out of 100 sue for over a million, we are never going to be deporting 11 or 12 million people. It isn't going to happen. And if we're not going to deport them, then we can't let these people be second-class citizens forever. We can't treat them like dirt. We need to love them. We need to, even though you're not going to make them citizens ahead of everybody else, at least you give them some kind of a process to uh, have dignity and to live under the law and be able to obey the law. Well, I'll say this in the last 30 seconds here. The reason the church grew in the Church of Acts was because they were rebelling against what society said was acceptable socially. They took Mm -hmm. in the deformed. They took in the sick and the disabled. They made their lives uncomfortable, even at their own expense, to love them. And when the world saw that kind of love and they saw that kind of action, they said, what is this Jesus about? And that's why the church grew. Amen. And they didn't go into emperor worship, which is actually just extreme nationalism. Mm -hmm. And instead they worshiped the living God. Amen. Nathan Bentley has been my guest. He's out at LifePoint. Look him up at LifePointPeople.com. I'm Mark Buckley. If you want to look us up, LivingStreams.org. We're on the corner of Central and Glendale. We have services at 9, 15, and 11 every Sunday morning. We'd love for you to visit us at Living Streams. And um, we hope that you will pray for our friend Floyd McClung. Open your heart wide. If we have Nathan back again, we'll have him talk about adoption and foster care because That's something very much on his heart, too. We hope that you will keep your heart wide to the people that God wants you to love. Thanks for being with us today on Koinonia.